0: One hundred years ago, four scientists walked from their small lab at the University of Toronto into the diabetes patient area at the Toronto General Hospital to test the first shot of their newly discovered and life-saving treatment, insulin. The collaborative efforts of Sir Frederick Banting, Charles Best, JJR Macleod, and James Collip anchored a road of century-long growth, marking Canada as a leader in groundbreaking health tech discovery. Hi there. I'm Neil Fraser, president of Medtronic Canada, and this is The Next 100, a new podcast that celebrates the first 100 years of insulin with conversations about the future of healthcare discovery and innovation in Canada. I feel so privileged uh, to be here with a very accomplished Dr. Robert Reed. He is the inaugural Hazel McCallion Research Chair in Learning Health Systems um, and also the Chief Scientist at the Institute for Better Health, as well as being Senior Vice President all at the Trillium Health Partners here in Mississauga. Dr. Reed is also a professor at the University of Toronto and at McMaster University. Dr. Reed is currently providing leading expertise on the Ontario health teams, and we'll, there'll be lots more on that in a minute. Dr. Reed has dedicated his life to improving the health of others while he himself lives with type 1 diabetes. It's a pleasure to have him join us today for our first episode of the next 100 podcasts. Welcome, Robert. It's really a pleasure to have you here.
1: Well, it's it's so wonderful to be here on your inaugural podcast, Neil, and to discuss diabetes and the future of where we're going. Just to take a moment to reflect on a hundred years of insulin, and the University of Toronto, and the accomplishments of Canada. Uh, I mean, there's not a a moment in Canadian scientific history. That is probably more important and more relevant to, to people across the world than the discovery of insulin. And me and many of my other uh, the diabetic patients across the world owe a tremendous gratitude to Canadians and those researchers 100 years ago. And, you know, diabetes has advanced so much in, in the last, uh, you know, 30 years that I've had diabetes. We saw the introduction of new insulins. We saw the new introduction of uh, home glucose monitoring, uh, pump technology, preventive medications, smart technology now, and and novel ways to now treat complications of diabetes that we had never even thought was possible years ago. And so, you know, the advances in science have made the lives of diabetics, and starting in Canada, um, so much better. Um, And it's just terrific to kind of celebrate the history of research and diabetes, but also the next hundred years and what the Canadian footprint will be uh, going forward. So thank you for inviting me to the podcast.
0: That was just fascinating, uh, all your thoughts about that. We're going to dive into that in a minute. But I I noticed that at uh, University of Washington, uh, Kaiser, that you uh, developed something called a patient-centered medical home. Um, and uh, my question is, um, was this um, pertinent to diabetes care? Like, did you develop specific uh, pathways for uh, diabetic patients? And how did that work as part of a, a patient-centered medical home?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And it, it kind of links on to my work and the relevance to for people with diabetes. Um, when I was early in my career... We spent a lot of time about thinking about how to deliver diabetes care consistently and engaging patients in their own care. How do you do that? And uh, through colleagues at the University of Washington and at Group Health Cooperative, developed what was the earlier iterations of what was called the chronic care model, initially based in diabetes. Um, And it was all about how to organize and deliver care proactively to patients. And, and members so that so we could avoid uh, complications in the, in the long term. Um, over time that morphed um, and was a pattern around how we should organize chronic illness care beyond diabetes in general. So not only diabetes, but mental health care for chronic, uh, chronic renal disease and so forth um, and became a layer on which we uh, uh, redeveloped primary care because primary care at its essence, needs to, to, to care for people longitudinally, uh, be patient-centered in their approach, and and really equip them in terms of self-management. Um, and that was the birth of the patient-centered medical home, which was a new way of organizing delivery of healthcare using new technologies like uh, video messages and so forth to actually reach, uh, reach populations of patients. And uh, that uh, early work, um, you know, continues to be very relevant about how we reinvent healthcare to make sure that we're drawing everybody in that has diabetes, chronic illness, or any other type of concern and not let them fall through the cracks.
0: And do you see um, the work that you did at Washington as analogous to the work that you're now doing with this new Ontario Health Team initiative that you're uh, leading or informing?
1: Absolutely. The Ontario Health Team, at its, at its heart, is about actually redeveloping primary care in, in, in many respects um, with the patient-centered uh, medical home as the baseline. And building on that, it's, it's also then how to bring in and support hospitals um, and home care, specialty care, so that care is organized across the full spectrum of patients rather than piecemeal in its approach. And so it really is about developing local systems of care. Um, and, and that's what Ontario Health Teams is all about.
0: And, and one thing that, that, um, that has confused me about Ontario Health Teams is, is just that, and I'll just use the term aggregator if, if it's okay. Um, like I, I look at the Ontario Health Team as a horizontal or geographic aggregator of patients of all kinds versus a vertical aggregator, which would be something like you referred to, uh, focusing on mental health or diabetes. So how do the needs, the, the vertical needs of high and high specialty care intersect with the horizontal needs of a geographical population?
1: Um, Ontario Health Teams is about integrated care absolutely integrated care, vertically integrated care from from primary care and home-related services through to specialty care, hospital, and high-end care, inclusive of mental health, long-term care, and the spectrum of care needs that people have. But holding a group of providers um, like this um, actually responsible for caring for a geographic or a group of people, so it's population-based. So, you know, here in Mississauga our Ontario health team now is responsible for caring for people in, that live in Mississauga across that spectrum. And that's what Ontario health teams is supposed to do. But th- what's really important is that it's all based in primary care. Um, primary care is the heart, the living, uh, and research across the world has, has told us that health systems don't work very well unless they have a vibrant well-equipped, well-prepared primary care workforce um, that is integrated in the rest of the system.
0: And so if you're a patient that's, that's uh, uh, let's say, rostered in a, in a primary care network or a, a, a medical home, and, and let's say that you present with type 1 diabetes, so what's the role of the primary care person to make sure that you uh, get the appropriate care in, in a very demanding uh, area, such as type 1 diabetes.
1: Yeah, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. The, the needs of di- the patients with diabetes occur across the spectrum. You know, many, many right. patients with diabetes have depression care and uh, depression and a whole host of other issues that we need to co-manage. Primary care's role is to make sure that we provide a person-centered approach, and fundamentally work on integrating that care across the spectrum. But they can't do it alone. We need a system that actually permits it, that allows that to happen so that we're not relying on individual family doctors to make all those connections, navigate all those referral networks, navigate wait lists and all those sort of things. Those become system properties that need to be managed. The primary care helps, helps navigate with patients through it, but the system picks up and actually integrates care
0: so just as just as I'm learning from our conversation, how does the system learn and and uh, what what is um, what is a learning health system in in your mind and and how does it adapt?
1: It's a great question um and you know in Canada. Um, we've, we've done a lot, there's been a lot of experiments in health service delivery and often they're done in pilot phases or in, in isolated circumstances and, uh, you know, they disappear once the, 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 the project is done and the learnings are not uh, coherently spread across settings or actually over time. And so the learning health system is really um, the idea about how we, we actually insert research right into healthcare operations. Um, so that we learn um, how to design research that's patient-centered. We learn how to adapt it for the localities that we're working in, because everybody has different uh, set of resources in Northern Ontario versus in Downtown Toronto. We need to read we need to adapt it for different uh, settings. And then we need to, to, to do small tests of change. We need to, to try things. Um, if they don't work, we need to adjust them, and we learn as we go, and that's at the essence what a learning health system is. It's really taking um, uh, research expertise uh, fundamentally into a learning system like a hospital or an OHT or a primary care practice, um, and it, you know, in many respects, it's just extending the ideas behind quality improvement now to using research uh, re- research-relevant tools artificial intelligence, all types of things that we can now bring to bear to make systems work better.
0: That's very exciting. So, so just getting back to our, our topic of the next hundred uh, years, um, what do you think um, the pathway looks like in the next hundred years? And what do you think will be the big innovations that Canadian uh, physicians and others need to aim for? And I'll, I'll give you three to choose from. It may may be the combination, but is it going to be a biological innovation, like a new molecule, uh, you know, like mRNA has been in COVID? Um, Is it going to be a technological innovation, uh, such as you mentioned, uh, continuous blood sugar measurement or uh, continuous uh, infusion uh, of insulin? or is it going to be information technology and care pathway design?
1: I think it's all going to be all three to tell you the truth and it's going to need to be all three. So, um, you know, I hope there's new discoveries and Canadians continue to take the lead in this. And my colleagues in the basic sciences at places like University of Toronto um, are just doing stellar work and continue to do. And I hope that their science uh, really delivers new innovations and new new things in in the biomedical sphere that can that can lead to cures and things that uh, we can we have not contemplated to date. I'm betting that we're going to continue on this path like we have been. The second is um, that. IT and um, in innovations in information technology, uh, we're only at the cusp of this at the moment, where we're using information in novel ways to make sure that people get the technologies when and when they need it, okay? So that they don't, are, are, are not required to actually make a visit, but we can actually go to them rather than actually them having to come in. So I think new technologies are, are really going to change care delivery. The second is, I think, the new information sciences will coming out around predictive modelling so that we can design things and, and interventions for people in advance, rather than waiting for things to actually happen. So we're really using the science of new information te- technology to do that. And then I think the third is, let's hope that we have new, new technologies and we have new drugs, devices, um, and discoveries. But they'll only come to fruition if we get them to the people at the time that they need them across the population. So we need advances in care delivery and and new models of care, new ways to deliver care, and particularly new ways to engage people in their own care. I am in control of that diabetes. I make the care decisions every minute of my day. And so we really need to, to, to equip patients across the spectrum and in terms of the the self-management for their own diabetes, because that is at the true heart of what diabetes actually is all about.
0: And and, uh, one last question I've been aching to ask you. I read this uh, recent paper by uh, Drummond and Sinclair, um, where they talked about the need to move from the biomedical model, in other words, you're you're sick or you have a problem, we have to treat you, uh, to a more expansive view of health that would include the social determinants of health. How does that come into play?
1: You know, that's the next advance as well is that, you know, we have been thinking about learning health care systems, and we need to think more broadly about learning health systems. There are many things that impact people's health. Only one of them is medical care, education, income, uh, housing, those types of things. We have systems around that, but we largely don't integrate uh, across the spectrum of schools, of, of housing departments, of, of how to finance care to improve health, that's where our world really needs to go because that's where we'll probably have the biggest impact and the most equitable impact um, uh, because, you know, equity is an enormous challenge for us. Um, uh, the technological advancements that we talked about are at the moment very hit and miss in their application and it's uneven in terms of who gets it and who benefits. And many people who are disadvantaged uh, for, for, for a whole host of reasons um, don't benefit uh, in the way, that, uh, the, the way that they could. So we really need to tailor our approaches across the socioeconomic spectrum in better ways to meet those challenges. That's where we need to go.
0: Excellent. Well, this has been fascinating. And uh, thank you so much for all of your incredibly well-thought-through answers, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up here. So, thank you.
1: Thank you, and, and thanks so much, and I can't wait for this next 100 years.